Turn in your Bibles, if you would, uh, to Psalm chapter 40. Now, we are, we'll be back in the book of Mark next week. Um, really felt led this morning to do something a little different, and it's going to require uh, participation. And I think Jennifer took the microphone, so Seth, I'll need your help. Did she bring them back there? Okay, so we'll need that at some point. We don't need it just yet. What we're going to do is I'm going to read through uh, Psalm 40. I'm going to give a brief exposition on Psalm 40, and then you'll see what we're doing next. Um, So this is going to be a sermon where we are going to interact with the text, and you'll, you'll see. So you're going to be participating. And God may use you this morning in a way that You just had no idea what was going to happen. So, Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. who who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Let's pray before we move forward. Father, we thank you for the text of your word. We thank you for preserving these songs and prayers of faith and worship. Lord, we thank you that you have purpose in the words that you've written. You said that you send out your word to accomplish your purpose, and it never comes back to you empty. And Lord, I pray this morning that your purpose would be accomplished, and I pray that hearts would be encouraged through your word and through the testimony of your word and your grace. Lord, we thank you for it today. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. 
So very quickly, Psalm 40 is one of my favorites. It, it, it exemplifies what I love about the book of Psalms. Um, in this particular psalm, if you noticed, written by a king, David, uh, you will notice that he is all over the place emotionally and in his faith. He's all over the place in a good way, not in a bad way. What do I mean he's all over the place? He begins by saying, I'm waiting for the Lord. And he heard me. He drew me up. So it's, it begins by him declaring the good stuff that God has done. He put a new song in my mouth. He, and you noticed we sang in the song, this, this, this psalm inspired that first song we sang. He drew me out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, out of the, out of the mud, and he put me on a rock. So David, right off the bat, is really talking about the goodness of God and what, he's, what he does. And then he has something to say to people who are listening. In verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, who does not go uh, to those who do not go astray after the lie. So, so David is glorifying God, and then he's telling people, this is what a blessed man looks like somebody who trusts in God. And then he goes back into praising God, all the wondrous deeds. There's too many to even count. We can't even, we can't even get all the language together. How many of you know the old hymn, Old for 10,000 Tongues? Right? You know, you, the, the, the idea is I can't get it out. I can't even put into words how great you are. But I love how he ends and says in verse 5, I will proclaim and tell of them. Even though I can't get it all out, I'm going to do my best. and I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about what God has done. Verse 6 is really a great verse because it's saying, from a king who oversees the temple and the worship of Israel, sacrifice and offering you've not delighted in which sounds contradictory to Leviticus. It's not contradictory to Leviticus because what, what the Old Testament actually teaches is, is that uh, there's an Israel inside of Israel. There are people who believe inside of the nation. There's a remnant. How many of you heard that language before? People who have faith in what God is doing, not just people who go through the motions of the right things. I could preach a lot of sermons right out of that verse. Not going through the motions because it's the right thing to go to the temple once a week and perform the sacrifices. David says here, that's not what God delights in. Instead, you've given me an open ear. In the Hebrew, it literally says, you have dug for me an open ear. That is a really good image of how clogged up we are and how dependent we are on God to hear God. We need our eyes opened by the grace of God. We need our ears opened by the grace of God or we will not hear. Burn offering and sin offering you've not required. In this whole thing, he's saying uh, it's people whose hearts belong to God. It's not people who are just going through the motions of the sacrificial system. Verse 7, then behold, I've come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. 
So everything we're hearing from David is praise and it's proclamation. He, uh, praise is, Lord, this is who you are and what you, uh, and how great you are. Proclamation is to the assembly or to other people, this is what God is doing and has done. So there's praise from our heart to God about who he is. And then there is proclamation to others about who he is. So David is doing both. Verse 9. I've told the glad news of deliverance. Where did he do this? In the great congregation. David has told other people, specifically in the congregation of worshipers, of God's deliverance. Then he says, I have, behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not held back from the congregation what God has done. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the congregation. What is he saying? I vocalized, verbalized faithfulness, salvation, steadfast love, your faithfulness. I let people know what God has done. Verbally, vocally. Sometimes we are tempted to say, you don't have to tell people, they can tell by your lifestyle, which is precisely not found in the Bible. Everything in the Bible is vocal, verbal, and the lifestyle. Now, here's where people get in trouble. Their lifestyle is terrible, and they're vocal. We call those people hypocrites. But here's what would be wrong, is to say, uh, my life isn't perfect, therefore I'll wait till I am perfect, and then I'll be vocal. Which equals, you're never vocal. You're never verbal. You're never out loud declaring the goodness of God because part of the goodness of God is the recognition of sin. Not the absence of sin. The recognition that I am sinful. Because if you skip over to verse 12, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. My sins. Part of the verbal part of, his, of David's proclamation is, I've got so much sin, they have overtaken me, I cannot see, they're more than the hairs on my head. David is not hiding from his sin. Now you'll notice he doesn't go into all the details of the sin, but he lets everybody know, I am sinful, therefore I will tell about a great salvation from my sinfulness. In other words, David, this is him being all over the place, he's talking about how God has saved him in his steadfast love and his faithfulness, and he saved him from sin, but that doesn't mean that David has arrived at a place of perfection. It means that David recognizes, the only reason I've got out of the miry clay and on a rock is because of what God has done. Therefore, I will tell people what God has done. And he uses the word deliverance. Most of the time, that word is translated as righteousness. I'm telling of God's righteousness, but specifically 
the righteousness that God has brought about in my life. And the Apostle Paul helps us out by saying, not a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. So what I'm, what I'm saying and what David is saying is, Christians should be vocal about what God has done. We should be telling each other what God has done. And we should not let the fact that we are imperfect and still sin hold us back from sharing what God has done. I don't think today I see as many people that are living terrible lives and also are super vocal about their faith. That may, I just don't see that as much. And you know why I don't see that as much? Because it's no longer socially profitable to be vocal about your faith. It used to be. In 1984, slapping a little ichthus, which is that Christian fish, slapping that on your business card meant something. Oh, he must be a Christian. He may be a lying, cheating scoundrel, but he's got the fish on there, so he must be a good one. That fish is disappearing from business cards and billboards. Why is it doing that? Because it's no longer socially good. It doesn't have a social capital. It doesn't have, it doesn't have the same cultural, ooh, that's good. Instead, now, you are more likely to be looked at as some kind of bigot of some kind, if you're a Christian. Am I right? I'm not, I'm not the only one noticing. Anybody watching the news at all? So when it no longer is socially acceptable, hypocrisy takes on different forms. That's another sermon. The point is, it's not the issue of people who are too vocal in the church in 2022. It's the fact that we are less vocal because we're learning that we can't say certain things or we may get in trouble. So, this morning, and I could go on and on and on. The, the, I will tell you the very the last thing in verse 17 where David says, As for me, I'm poor and needy. We read this last night at our house, and Jennifer said, He's the king. How is he poor and needy? It's a good question. Because he recognizes that without God, he's nothing. He is not a, I've pulled myself up by the bootstraps, Christian. He is, I, apart from you, can do nothing. Lord, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay Oh my God, I love these psalms because David is expressing his confidence simultaneously with his, Lord, if you don't do something, I'm in trouble. And that is the reality of our lives. As we believe in God, we, we are in a position, we should be in a position where we're saying, Lord, you have been my deliverer, you have been my help, you have done these things. If you don't come through, I am dead meat. And if it's your will that I be dead meat, then it's your will that I be dead meat. However, I need your help. Verse 13. Look at verse 13. Look at the words. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. 
Do you notice that he's not naming and claiming anything here? Do you notice that he's not making a bold declaration of faith? He is making a bold declaration of faith. He's not demanding that God do something. He's saying, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. The same guy who said in verse 9, I told the news of your great deliverance. What I'm saying here is in Psalm 40, there is the sovereign, under, God as sovereign over our lives. David is still going to go to God and say, you are the deliverer. Be pleased to deliver me again. That's what he's saying. So, I'm going to shut up right here. Because what I want us to do is specifically in verse 9. I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I want to give an opportunity this morning, and I've told nobody about this, so this is going to be impromptu. I want us, for the next 25 minutes or so, I would like to hear from you about the deliverance of God in your life. Specifically, what I would love to hear is how you became a Christian, which is the ultimate initial deliverance in our life. Now, it doesn't have to just be that, but that's what I would like to hear. And I'm doing it on purpose, because frequently what you think this is supposed to sound like is, I came from this background, and I did these things, and then God saved me, which is true. That is a testimony. But how many of you grew up in church? Raise your hands. You grew up in church. I grew up in church, and I was always like, I'm never sharing my testimony, because my testimony is, I've never known a single solitary second of not believing in God. That is my testimony. I have never, not for a single second, not believed in God. But that is my testimony. I want you to think about what I'm saying. This is my testimony that I'm going to give as the glad deliverance. I have always been kept by the power of the Holy Spirit my entire life. And I've committed horrifically gross sins. So I'm, I'm going I'm to go with David in verse uh, 12 and say that I've got more iniquity in my life than the hair on my head. But I also will tell you that I was a little kid raised by Christian parents who taught me the Scriptures and Jesus is my Savior. When I was five years old, I already believed, but I wanted to say a prayer just to make sure. I had watched a Willie George video in children's church. I came home. I'm five years old. My mom prayed with me beside my bed to confirm something that I already knew. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's my testimony. When I was 18, 17, I was a little more of an idiot, actually a lot more, and I started flirting with what the world had to offer, searching out there that maybe I was missing out on stuff, and I did a lot of dumb things, and God always just had a hold of my back, like my shirt, if you've ever done this, pulled your kid back from running out in front of traffic, anybody ever done something like that? I remember doing that with my children, and every single time God would jerk me back in one way, shape, or form, back away 
from the road and the traffic I was so desperate to go play in, sinfully. That is my testimony. All kinds of messes, all kinds of sins, but God saved me from, I don't even remember when, because I can't remember, I cannot remember not believing in God. That is not everybody's testimony. But I wanted to share that for all the church kids that grew up, because I know I'm not alone. There's a lot of church kids that grew up, they didn't know anything other than belief in God. And then they wandered, and then they're sitting here this morning. So, that's all I'm going to share with my testimony. I can give you lots of specifics. But what, Seth, if you would bring me the microphone, I am asking for someone to be the first one other than me to share in front of the congregation the great deliverance that God has brought in your life. Who wants to go? Keep it five minutes, because I know you, everybody wants to give like, well, it started when I was three, and we've got to get up to age 43, so we, we can't do that, but if you can share five minutes or so what God has done. Tabitha, come on up. You're, you're fine. It's okay. Can I stand this way? <laughs> no, you look at everybody this way. Um, I too was born, I'm pretty sure mom birthed me in the sanctuary, but um, she, so I grew up in the church. Um, sorry, I'm a crier. I've already been crying this morning, but God is good. Um, so, Sorry. <laughs> Um, at seven years old, I remember going, um, we had children's church, and they were like, hey, if you want to get saved, let's go into this Sunday school room. And I was like, I really want to go in that Sunday school room to see what's going on. So I go in there, and I say a little prayer, and I probably come out and tell mom, I'm saved, and I too have always known and believed in God. And then you grow up. And you start questioning things, and you see the world different, and you see God differently. And um, at 14, so I was baptized um, shortly after that, but that was also because my sister did it, and I was like, hmm, (laughs) my turn. (laughs) But then at 14, I think I really understood God better, or in a different way, so... um, I thought I was getting saved then, but now I know as an adult I was always saved from that innocent child faith, but I just saw it differently. So um, so the prayer again, then I felt like um, at 14 I needed to be baptized because for me it was to declare or to show that I am making this commitment to follow God and to, to live the way he wants me to. So I was baptized again, not that you have to, it's just, that's what I felt God called me to do, and I see, I'm just so thankful for all the people he's put in my life, and how I always tell people, I'm not sure how I am where I am, because I always feel like he's just directed me, and I'm not smart, but he got me through school, (laughs) I'm not 
I never I trust him with a lot, but then there's times that I have a lot of doubt, even now. At 36 years old, I question things, and I go and have therapy sessions with Jen and Steve and say, why is my brain doing this? Um, because the world is constantly pounding on us. And, uh, but he is good to pull us back, and I feel like I'm going in circles, but um, I've always said I was kind of like Steve, um, my testimony is boring. <laughs> like, my 20-year-old Chris came from a crazy world of drugs and not good family. And at 18, 19 years old, he comes to me at 1 in the morning and he says, I feel God pulling me. And that's when he became a Christian. I'm telling his, he's not even here, but I get to tell his story. <laughs> but I felt blessed that I got to see that. And I'm like, what a cool, like, and he, tell, he jokes now. I won't tell it exactly what he says, but he says, I need to move out of this house. I said, why? He said, because I came in as a punk doing bad things. And now I'm just so excited to take a bubble bath. <laughs> And, and that's only God. And the fact that I get to see that is beautiful to me. And he's a blessing and the work that God does. And I have to remind myself even now that he is there, even when my brain might be questioning things. So just don't give up. It's the process. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Who else? Oh, okay. Okay, I was I was raised in church. Um, my mom, we walked four blocks to go to church. We didn't have a car. My dad worked the railroad; he was always gone. So um, I can never forget when I was 12 years old. Mom quit church. I can remember the day and exactly everything that went on. And I still, I thought, well, God, I know you're still with us. You know, um, as a teenager, yeah, I, I, I was ag not against God. I, was, I still had him in my heart. But I did teenager things. Got married when I was 20. And the morning that I brought Samantha home from giving birth to her, Donald had just went to work and Samantha was laying in the bed and I felt something taking her away from me, something evil that was taking her away from me. And who you call, you can't call mom or dad or anybody to help. I, God, you got to help me now. And, and, and I ran to church. And, and since then it's, it's been fun. <laughs> but I have a beautiful daughter, son Amen. too. Amen. Thank you, Debbie. <laughs> Hannah. Part of me feels a little too young to be up here, but God works in your life all your life. So um, I grew up in a Christian household. Uh, I very, very vividly remember the day that I was saved. I was on my swing set in my backyard, and I was like, I'm, I want to live for God. So I, I prayed, and I remember running across the yard yelling, Mommy, I'm saved. 
I think I was like five. I don't remember, honestly. Um, but I live in a world that everybody's always kind of searching for happiness. So I grew up in my teen-clouded mind with a desire for happiness. And I was looking in other places that was not God. Um, and I admit that. I did some bad, sinful things. Um, and I will be honest, I didn't really change all much of that until winter of this year. <laughs> um, I kind of, <laughs> New Year's morning broke down, and I was like, God, I think I want this year to be for you. And since then, I've gone through a lot of hardship. Um, I felt like I've gone through a lot of this year of being 18 alone. Um, and I just realized that I found so much contentment and comfort in God's presence that when I felt like no one else was there, he was in the room with me, holding me close. Um, and that embrace is so perfect. It's... His comfort's better than anything else, and I have found so much happiness beyond everything that's on this earth, just waking up every morning and reading two chapters of my Bible to try and read it. <laughs> um, and I remember feeling so excited when I got through Leviticus. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's my thing, is even now I'm still learning, I'm still growing. I definitely don't have it all together, um, but I feel comfort in knowing that I'll never know all of God and that there's so much more to seek. So mm -hmm. that's... Amen. Thank you, Hannah. <laughs> Who else? That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Um, I'm sitting there and I'm listening to everyone's testimony and I thank y'all for sharing. Um, I don't know what I'm going to say, but uh, I didn't grow up in a household where everybody went to church. Now, I had gospel music playing because mom was always cooking in, in the morning, but I didn't go to church unless I went to family who lived in another section of the city, which was maybe twice a month, which was good. But, I, of course, kids, they don't like church. They want to get out of there, go watch football on Sunday. Um, so that I was that kid. Am I loud? You're good. Okay. Um, but, yes, so I always knew God. I always knew God. Um, but I was your regular kid playing sports and all. Uh, but I think the teachings and the morals that were instilled in me, instilled in me were from the Bible, from God. Um, so that always was in the back of my mind of how to act, how to treat others, um, how to love yourself, um, how to love your neighbors, just all those principles, the Ten Commandments, things of that nature. Um, as I got older, I came to West Virginia probably 20-something years ago, and there's been many times when I've been on my own and I've just felt the pres presence of God. Um, I have so many... Um, you know, just I call them episodes or chapters in my book that God has appeared. Um, 
one in particular. Me and my wife went through something with her father. And it wasn't good at, at first. Um, but again, somehow, it's good. It, it, it's good. And, and I say somehow, but I know why it's good. I know why it's good. Because God had his hand on it the whole time. Amen. And, and then something happened to my father-in-law. And I think that brought us closer. And again, I believe God kept him here for a reason. Amen. To, to bring us all together. And that's one of the episodes of my life that God had his hand in. And also, some of you know about the story about my father. I didn't know my father growing up. And I finally got to see my father last year for the first time in my life that I can remember. He lives in California. He's doing great. He's a, a minister, or pastor, excuse me, minister, pastor, like deacon. He's a deacon. <laughs> okay. He's a deacon, sorry. Um, but again, that's another um, episode of my life where God has been there. Um, I've had many talks with you, and I've had many talks with the guys, and just the growth of knowing God, trusting him, following his word, you know, following his lead. Um, he's been there the whole time. He's the father that has never, you know, left me, forsaken me. He has always been there in my life. And I've, ex I've escaped so many things that the world has put in front of me because of him. Um, and I give him the glory every day. Amen. And I want to continue to do that. Um, I, it's, I'm 42 years old. Um, which, I don't know if she went. Oh, okay, she's over. I'm 42 years old, but I'm still learning about God as well. And I'm still um, trying to build up that armor um, in my heart to you know, go to battle against the devil. Um, Amen. So, thank you. Thank you, Mark. That's awesome. We'll maybe do one more, Ellie. I know, I'm like way too young to be up here. Um, <clears throat> I just turned 17. And I know last time we did this, I was like, wow, I don't have a testimony. I don't know if I was ever forced to go up there. I don't know what I would say. And so much changed in my life. And I'm going to get emotional. But um, so much has changed in my life in one year, less than a year. Um, I was so scared, and I've always been scared, and that is one thing that has held me back from so many things. I've always wanted to be strong and show strength <laughs> in my life, but I know that I can't do that all the time. Um, a while back, like, I was being eaten away by sin, and I had so many idols in my life, and I had no idea. Um, and I want to say thank you to my dad and to my parents for pulling me out of that, even though it was so hard at the time. It, 
I felt like I was being ripped apart. I didn't know myself. I didn't understand why I felt so violated. Um, and then I realized that that was a good thing. I started going <clears throat> to school and <laughs> that was a really hard time for me and being social, figuring out who I am, what I want to do. I had no idea. Um, but so many teachers and people have been able to open me up and I've found out like that God has been so merciful on me and I do not deserve any of it. I deserve nothing. But he still gives it to me and he's given me so many friends and he's given me such a wonderful family and he's given me this church and it is just amazing to see how many good things that Amen. this world does have to offer in the midst of so much sin and in the midst of so much, so much sin. It is amazing to see how much he's worked in my life and in everyone else's lives. And I'm just really, really thankful. And I still have, I have so much to work on, and I am still growing, and I'm super young, and I just am very excited to see uh, where he's going to take me. Amen. So. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Come on up, Leslie. Can't let my nephew out there. That's right. Um, I grew up in an amazing home with a, the best mom in the world. She was Mrs. Beaver. Fantastic. Uh, raised us in the Church of Christ. Um, she was never saved because she didn't feel good enough because where I went, it was all about your works. Yeah, your works. You've got to be perfect. If you mess up, you tell everybody how awful you are. And it, I didn't understand. But in the, the early 80s, I was 13 years old, and watched the movie The Day After, Realized that if we had a nuclear war, I was going to go to hell. I was horrified. So the next day, the pastor was, they were playing Whiter Than Snow with the drone organ and the piano. So I walked up front and went through the ritual, you know, and that, yes, I'm saved and I got baptized, which didn't change me at all because I didn't even really know what I did. And I was the most, I was a very, very wild, rebellious, um, the most rebellious of my mother's six children was me. Very, very wild, and we'll leave that at that. Thank goodness I met Kenny Young at 18, and we were married at 20, and, you know, everything was on a better path there. But I always knew if I died, I was going to go to hell, because I didn't even understand what was going on. When I was 25, I was a nurse. My best friend had just had a baby. She was having postpartum depression. She went out to um, a bar one night, wanted me to go with her. I said, I don't do that kind of stuff. I'm a married woman. Um, she got killed that night. There wasn't even enough left of her to find out how drunk she was to get an appropriate tissue. So it was so, it was horrifying. I was just blown out of the water. And I went through months and months of panic attacks and was realizing my own mortality. And my mother's best friend was a wonderful Christian lady. She says, the, Lord, the devil's got a hold on you. The Lord's 
fighting and Satan's fighting. We had bought a house in a bad part of town. He worked with a gentleman that went to church there. And thank the Lord, we went to 26th Street Baptist Church. For the first time in my life, I heard and understood the plan of salvation. The magnificence of it, but the simplicity to it. I have to surrender myself. Never assume that because someone goes to church, they understand salvation's plan. Because I was 25 years old and didn't understand that I had not truly surrendered my heart to the Lord through, you know, acceptance and confession. And, and it was simple, and I did it in my bed one night, and Kenny had never heard it either. But um, that's how the Lord saved me. And um, I'm so thankful that my mother, before she passed away, realized that it's not becoming perfect and clean before you accept Christ. Right. She was a wonderful lady, and she did leave this world saying that, turn me on my side in the ICU, Leslie, I'm going to go, I want to go see Jesus. Um, he is so good to me every day. And the fun thing is about getting old. She, the little gal was talking about how young she is. Well, I'm getting so old. I don't even care anymore. So I just thought I'll go up there and tell them because I am very vocal at work and everywhere. And I don't care. And if it offends you, I'm sorry. Maybe, you know, I don't care. But I'm thankful to him. I'm a work in progress every single day. He looks down, I know, and goes, I don't know. I don't know what to do with her, but I'm thankful that he loves me so much and has given me extreme happiness. Like that girl says, your, your comfort and your peace, nothing in this world can give you what Jesus Christ can give Amen. you. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you. No, no, you're fine. Uh, I, too, was raised in Church of Christ. I think the, you don't understand the difference in the culture is that when you're in Church of Christ, like, to be saved, you're coming forward in front of everyone to be baptized, and it's a, it, it, there's pressure. There's a lot of pressure. I wasn't baptized until I was 21. And to speak of the deliverance moment, I was raised in church, God, and I always believed in God, but I, to make that, you know... I kind of floated by on the, well, my parents are good, and we're at church, and uh, it's fine. And he didn't reach me so much through, um, like, you realize you're going to hell. He reached me through a speaker. This, this man was preaching, and I looked at him, and I thought to myself, man, I could really, uh, I always... I was always told I had a, a good manner of speaking, and I thought to myself, I could be doing that. And he said to me right then, he said, you're not on my side. And two, for two weeks, he kept me up and up and up. And I understand conviction from that. He really worked so hard on me. And uh, I, made that, I made the commitment then. And I did not have a true, I was not that rebellious. I didn't have a true great story to tell, and then in my 30s, I thought, let's make it a good story and mess some things up pretty good. Um, the short blurb is that Lisa and I had some troubles, and they were mine, and God, repent, God saved it, um, and that is good, Amen. and he has always been working. So here's the, here's the reason I really came up, and I wanted to say it this way. I compare my salvation with marriage, and, the, and this is the way I understand that. And, I, and it's been with me for years, and I think it's important to say, um, when you first make your commitment to God, you do not understand what it all means. 
Just like when I first made my vows, I did not understand what that all meant. I was 21 years old. How could I, or no, I was 23, sorry. I was 23 years old. She was 21. How could we understand what a lifetime of marriage commitment means? How can you understand that when you're that young? You can't. Any married couple in here will tell you, you can't. Right. The same goes for him. The same goes for your commitment to God. You do not understand what it entails when you start, but yet you are his. And there'll be times in your life where you'll come to an understanding and be like, I didn't understand this when I committed to God. I really didn't understand this. You're still his. He's just making you better. Mm -hmm. And you may say, I want to recommit myself. Great. You were still his before you did that too. He's, when you made a promise to him, I don't care if you were five on a swing, I don't care if you were 21 when you finally decided that God reached you, he started the work in you and he's continuing it to completion. Mm-hmm. I, don't want to, I guess my thing is, I was raised in a church where you were constantly told if you didn't do it exactly the right way and you didn't understand the baptism the way you were supposed to understand it, you could go to hell. And we would have visitors from other churches say, and oh, you're a Baptist? Well, we need to talk about that because, oh, you were baptized? Well, but did you get baptized for the right reasons? And did they say the right words? That was a big, big thing. Jennifer can speak to that because she went to a Church of Christ college and they were browbeating her constantly to get rebaptized the right way. Um, God starts the work. You make the commitment, God starts to work. You feel like you're failing it, or you feel like you've come to a new under bit, bit of understanding, welcome to Christianity. That's it. But God started the work in you. I want you to feel firm and confident in your salvation. You may walk away for a while. You may make horrendous mistakes. I know. God still is doing work in you. So those of you who committed at five or seven or eight, praise God. Mm-hmm. And when you're in your teen years and you're decided to be the most rebellious of your family, God's still there. Matter of fact, the only reason you get through that is because God's still there. Right? And he brought her to that. And he brings all of us through that. So your commitment and what God did in your life, I don't care how old you were, how young you were, how old, whatever, God is in you and working with you. And that's a beautiful thing. And when you come to a greater understanding of your salvation, that's even a more beautiful thing. And you grow and you grow. And I'm a much better husband at 52 than I was at 23 because I've grown in that. The same with my Christianity. That's the way God works in our salvation. Amen. Thank you, Rob. Amen. Come on up. Yes, sir. I'm really grateful to be able to do this because I was uh, standing back there with Zoe, our little girl, whenever we were singing. And uh, I was just talking to her and uh, trying to, in words, explain uh, the faithfulness of God to her mom and I. Um, Even though I know she's really little and she's, you know, she's not understanding everything, but she understands more than what... I think she can understand. I know that. God showed me that, that she's absorbing so much. Um, so I was just talking to her. And so when we were, uh, when you talked about being able to speak uh, about God in a public setting, in a forum, I just thought, well, Lord, 
thank you for, for the chance to be able to do that. And I just want to say that uh, what God has proven to me over and over and over again is his faithfulness. Um, I was like a lot of the testimonies that were here, and I was young, I was little, and in a tent that my mom put up in our living room. And uh, it was just something cool that she did as a mom uh, to have like a little bit of space because we had nine people in my house and uh, to have a little bit of you space and a tent in the middle of the living room was, was kind of a special thing. And uh, I remember being in that tent and God separates and was separating light and dark. Uh, he does that. He separates good and evil and he separates. He's always been doing that in, in my life. Um, and there were dark things that had happened uh, to me even as a kid and also darkness just in me as a kid uh, that he was separating and showing that this is, this is dark uh, and this is, this is light. And uh, I had the just impression of how dark it was. I knew that it was uh, a hard... Uh, and really just sad uh, moment in my life at eight years old. Um, and was I remember just hitting myself in the head uh, with my fist and just trying to wrap my, wrap my head around all of this uh, that was going on, all of these things that just were, were things that seemed to come upon you um, and overwhelm you. Um, and I didn't see it then, but that's even knowing that that was dark and even knowing that that was hard was the Lord. Um, because uh, I needed to know that. Uh, and I need to today when I start to get overwhelmed by things that are just dark um, and hard. Uh, my own sinfulness, my own fear. Uh, I need God to make a separation there and say, uh, this isn't what I have for you. Uh, and so he did that at eight years old um, and put in my heart to, to be able to just ask for help. Uh, and I did. That's all I prayed was God help me. And I still remember that. And he brings it back to my remembrance. God does that a lot. He brings things back to our remembrance. Um, and he brings it back to my remembrance a lot as a time when I'm, when I'm trying to understand uh, God, what, what's happening in my life, and what are you doing, and what's our relationship? You know, he brings me back to that prayer, and I remember praying it, and I know uh, by faith that there are so many things that are happening in my life now that are still him answering that prayer. Uh, and so my baby uh, and her, her birth, the way that it all happened, um, my, our second girl as well, but especially with Zoe, it was all uh, miraculous. And there had been times in my life uh, where I was convinced that I would never be a good dad. Uh, I just didn't have it uh, in me. And, and God, through my baby, through my wife, uh, through my fears, through my insecurities, uh, has continued to answer that prayer uh, to help me. Amen. He, he continues to help me. And, uh, and 
I just want to uh, to testify to that that God's faithful, uh, and that when we're afraid, uh, we truly do. Um, well, we're just afraid. We we do things that are stupid. We do things that are uh, evil and hard, and our hearts get hard because of fear a lot of times. But in his faithfulness, God has always put me in situations that I faced the things that I was most afraid of. Uh, I was most afraid of being a failure as a dad. I was most uh, afraid of being, uh, not being able to be a good husband. Uh, I was terrified of, there were things that I thought, if, the, if this happens, the world will explode. Uh, it'll all just end, um, and not be, there will be no good. And God has always been faithful to me to not only put me in that exact situation, um, but show me that uh, he's able to overcome Mm -hmm. all of that, all that stuff that I'm terrified of, he's able to overcome it, and that I don't have to get hard in order to face it, I don't have to pull back, I don't have to withdraw, I don't have to kill myself, which as a teenager, you know, that was the logical conclusion of the end of that, it was like, okay, if I'm just going to fail in all these ways, don't want to do that. Uh, and I say logical, um, but God separates and shows light and dark. And uh, no, that's not logic. That's dark. Uh, yeah. And I'm here, and, and here's here's the difference I'm going to make. And He makes all the difference uh, Amen. from light to dark. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Is anybody else? Just. Sure. That is clearly his wife, right? (laughs) I just have to tell a story because of how we're talking about the faithfulness of God. And um, I also grew up in a church. My family did um, summer camps with horses, which shaped me so much. And there was this woman who had a son who was autistic, and she was telling me about her daughter who does the same thing that I do. Uh, to understand the story, you have to understand the geography of Pennsylvania, which is where I'm from. Uh, Don't judge me for that. But um, I grew up in northern Pennsylvania and went to college in eastern Pennsylvania. And I met my husband in southern Pennsylvania. This woman was telling me about what her daughter did, and she worked in this place in southern Pennsylvania. And um, I went to college, eastern Pennsylvania. And... um, my career development director sent me an application for this place, and she said, you've got you've to apply. This place looks like it's perfect for you. It's a Christian organization. Um, I was not pursuing God at the time, and I remember meeting with a, a youth pastor from a church I was going to, and she said, God is pursuing you, Lily. And I, I was just desperately trying to grasp for anything, but just messing up and messing up, and she kept saying, you know, God is pursuing you. And Actually, I think she only said it once, but it kept coming back to me. And um, this career development director sent me an application in eastern Pennsylvania. And um, the application was was for a job in southern Pennsylvania, actually Maryland. And uh, this mom from this Bible camp in northern Pennsylvania texted me and she said, Lily, my daughter is leaving a position at Maryland Salem Children's Trust, which is the application that I had on my desk that I was only halfway through, not confident to fill out. Um, and she said, I think you'd be perfect for the position. And so I finished the application, and every step along the way, I was like, well, 
I don't, I'm not confident that I can do this job. I've never even worked in a barn, let alone run a barn. And every step I said, the, I said those things to myself, but I, how can you deny that that's God, you know? And uh, so I got the job and I spent two wonderful years working at this organization, met my husband, got married to him, had a baby there even, and uh, now we're here. But that's just the sovereignty of God. And um, I think we all know that marriage uh, and our spouses aren't what change us, but they're definitely what God uses to change us, and I'm just grateful for that. That is well said. Amen. Amen. Come on up, Mandy. Listen, this isn't, this isn't a sermon. This is, we're declaring what God has done. And this is, these are the kind of things that people remember. Uh, not that my sermons aren't memorable, but. I'll try to make it fast. Go. I know we're, we're close no, you're on fine. time. Um, but I also grew up in church. So to say I knew what age I became a Christian, I don't know. Um, but that's just a blessing right there, as so many of us have said, that we've had that that upbringing from parents or whoever has um, raised us. So I met my husband, and that, that seemed like a whirlwind because I had just moved down here, and I wasn't looking for anyone. Um, so he he's a fantastic blessing to me. Um, we had our daughter, and I've gone through postpartum two different times, um, to the point that I wasn't really functioning. So um, with the prayers and support and family, um, I'm a testimony to say that you can walk through darkness even when you're a Christian. Um, you can walk through darkness and feel like there's no way out. But there is light. There always is. Um, it's just a process. So if anyone lives or has lived in that dark place, don't, don't let yourself stay there. Um, know that there is, there is a, another part of your story. Um, and then we just lost my dad in November. And that was extremely hard because it was very unexpected. Um, But through all that, the one thing I can say is I've never really realized how close we are to eternity until I've lost my dad. Um, I just feel that we're right there. Eternity is so close. Um, and we, we aren't promised tomorrow, nobody is, but to lose someone and to know that I'm going to see him again, and there is, there is hope in that, that we are living for another life, and to share our testimony and to live our lives for Jesus, to get others to eternity with us. Um, that's just been my, my, my mindset lately is what are we here for? <laughs> really, in the end, what are we here for? We're here to glorify God and to love people so that they come to know Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Mandy. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. You want to hear some testimonies? <laughs> it's you know what? It's not a bad idea to to just share. We we used to do it more, and that's why I just I was reading this text. I was like, we've got to have times where we can publicly say God is good, and God is a God of deliverance and salvation. Um, because it also helps you, and Mark, you're so right, you, you look at Tabitha different after you hear a little bit about Tabitha's story. Or Leslie, you're like, okay, I, I can connect with what she said. And truly, we are the body of Christ. We have to connect. It's not just about coming and being nice and smiling and it's good to see you. That's that's just our culture. That's just the cordial nature of our culture. And you can get that in more intimacy at a bar, like Cheers. Why was Cheers such a good show? Because it was a bunch of people that all knew each other coming to the same place. I'm dating myself by saying Cheers. I don't know a modern equivalent. But, but just the idea of getting together and knowing each other in the camaraderie, a football team. If you ever played team sports, you just know each other and you're comfortable. Church... We're not surrounding ourselves by the comfort and shared experience of baseball or we get together and share our problems at a bar. We're sharing around the table of communion and are joining together in Christ. We're sharing around the fellowship that only comes through the Holy Spirit. It's called koinonia in the Greek. It is a unique God-created fellowship. And it's extended out to everyone who names Christ Lord. It's for all of us, which is why gossip is ugly and backbiting and unforgiveness are unacceptable. And why we got to fight to get rid of them because we're connected in Christ. So hearing testimonies helps open up a door to say, I relate to that. And this, that's my brother or sister in Christ. I am glad to know that. And you never know where God will take church relationships uh, because we're connected in Christ. So let's all stand up. What's the okay. Is that Jack? Jack knows it's time to go when we stand up. <laughs> it's funny how you train kids, right? I'll think about that though. It's funny how they get trained. So they're going to get trained in church or they're going to get catechized in the public education system somewhere. So, okay. All right, I'm just turning everything into a sermon this morning. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the testimonies we've heard about your salvation, about your deliverance, about your faithfulness, about your hand of guidance. Lord, we, we thank you that you are the hope that we have. You are the God that takes us out of the miry clay and sets our feet upon a rock. You are the God that delivers us from our iniquity and our sin. You are the God that separates uh, clearly in our hearts 
what is dark and what is light. And Lord, in you is light and there is no shadow of turning. So Lord, we thank you that you are the source. And you sent your son to die for sinners, to seek and to save the lost. We love you because you first loved us. You are the rescuer and we are the rescued. And this morning we thank you for being able to hear how you've rescued others in this room. Lord, we pray that you would let us have opportunities to be vocal about your deliverance at work and with neighbors and with loved ones that don't know you. Lord, we pray for those open doors of gospel opportunity, and we pray that we would walk through them with your boldness and with your power. We thank you for all of this in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said... Amen. Tonight, 6 o'clock, we have prayer. Until then, have a wonderful afternoon.